Just, oh, I'm, not, I'm not gay, but I'd be like, look, dude, I just have to do this. Radio Drome. Welcome to another Thursday night Radio Drome. Have you had your eyes shined? I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil T. Riddick. What? Fine. Don't play along. Alex Jowski. It's Little Riddick. That's because his photo is Little Rita. You guys don't get that. Inside joke. And joining us this week is Riddick scholar, Mike White. <laughs> scholar. I was, trying, I was trying to give you a nice, you know, lofty intro there. Very nice. I, I appreciate it. And if you can't tell, we'll be talking the Riddick movies tonight. But if you have not had your eyes shined, you could go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code DROME. You would get 10 free gifts. You would get six free DVDs, a gift for him, a gift for her, special gift for both of you, a mystery gift, and free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now, we're going to be talking the Riddick films. Five of them, technically. And a lot of people are going to be surprised that there's five of them, but we'll get into uh, well, that. Well, they don't count. Oh, stop it. The Riddick franchise as a whole, before we get into each movie, what are your thoughts? I'm going to preface by saying I did not get the chance to see Dark Fury and whatever that other one was. I still don't even know what it was. Into uh, Pitch Black. Well, I got into Pitch Black. I like that movie. I really enjoy the Riddick franchise and... You know, I hope that the next time we do this and we say there's five, we just mean there's five movies. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I consider that there's three movies and the other stuff is just like specials. It's like considering the Star Wars holiday special to be canon. I don't really consider it. But Lumpy and Mala and all the time on... Uh, anyway. Lumpy watching space porn in Sun 70s NBC. Yes. That was hilarious. And uh, Itchy, Itchy was the uh, was the, the little Itchy, kid. sorry. And Harvey Corman was everybody else. Uh, I will also say that uh, I was not able to watch Into Pitch Black, and I only saw a little tiny bit of Dark Fury, not enough to really talk about it. However, I have played Escape from Butcher Bay and the remake of Escape from Butcher Bay, where they basically upgraded the uh, the visuals and whatnot for the uh, the 360, and so. So there. Oh, I freaking love Riddick. I remember the first time when I went to see uh, Pitch Black, I, I thought it was a really cool movie. But about halfway through the movie, I'm like, this who the hell is this guy? He's awesome. Like he just had like Vin Diesel right there. Like that was really the first time I ever really noticed him. I was. Are you telling me you didn't him. notice him in Saving Private Ryan? I he did a good job in Saving Private Ryan, but like I didn't really know who he was amongst, you know, all the other characters. But in this he clearly stood out like this. This movie was not so much about uh, the aliens as it was more ended up being about Riddick. And so that's why when, you know, his character took off so much that I wasn't surprised that the next movie focused solely on him. And uh, it, it was just awesome. And then, I mean, I loved how Chronicles of Riddick was a whole big sci-fi opera. And then Riddick kind of scaled it back down to make it a more personal tale. I just, I really am a big fan of the character and of the series. 
I remember seeing Pitch Black for the first time, and I also was drawn to the Riddick character. I, I, I'm honestly surprised this became a franchise. I'm not surprised that people latched on to Riddick. I'm surprised that studios kept this character. I, I know people like that whole dark, complicated character, but this is a multiple murdering escaped prisoner who is basically a sociopath in So it's kind of surprising that he becomes the star of his own franchise. As a franchise, I think it's surprisingly strong, with, as Mike pointed out, the specials being kind of weak. But the three features are surprisingly strong. So let's start at the beginning, then. 2000's Pitch Black, written and directed by David Toohey, although he also co-wrote the screenplay with Jim and Ken Wheat. When Pitch Black came out in 2000, it was a moderate success. Budget of $23 and it made a little over double its budget, and it became a pretty big hit on home video. I think Pitch Black is is the best film in the franchise, but I, I may get some crap on that. I think it's a really strong film that builds, not only you get hints of the universe around it, it's a great creature feature, it's got strong characters for the ones that are not just there to die, it's got a surprising ending and a surprising arc. The one thing I'll say about this one is... This is kind of what Alien 3 was supposed to be. David Toohey essentially took, and there's a lot of changes, obviously, but his rejected Alien 3 script and made that into Pitch Black. So you can kind of see this as what Alien 3 could have been. Okay, I didn't see Pitch Black until 2008, long after it had come out, but I remember people saying, hey, that movie was really good. And I watched it, and the movie enthralled me. The way the story is paced is great, because I went into it no idea what to expect. And that plot twist where he turns out to be a she, and the way it's revealed is still my favorite thing in the movie, that point where they can smell her bleeding. But I'm not, not you. That, that part I love. That is my favorite scene in the movie. But the way it's all contained was just this is the story. It's these people that, you know, strangers – by happenstance, you know, have to uh, come together to fight this monster in order to survive these monsters, rather. The only real problem I have with it is a minor beef. It's that whole coincidental thing. Like how in Galactic in 1980, the Cylons happened to crash on Earth on Halloween, so nobody thought a giant robot walking down the street was weird. Here, they happened to crash on the one day that this happens every 11 years. That, I thought, was a little... All right. But other than that, the story is told amazingly. It reminded me of an episode of Doctor Who, the way it was like they coincidentally happened to be at the right place at the right time, or the wrong place at the wrong time. I saw Pitch Black in the theater. I used to go to this uh, every weekend. I would go see a bad movie on Sunday with a friend of mine before he had kids and wasn't allowed to leave the house anymore. Pitch Black, I got to say, it was marketed so poorly that it fit into our Bad Movie Sunday thing. It was just like, oh, wow, this looks like it's going to be terrible. And we went and saw it and were so blown away. It was like, oh, my God, this is so good. And after that, I just kind of fell in love with Vin Diesel. I mean, the guy, other than like... He's charismatic as hell in this. Oh, God, yeah. There's one moment in the film. The moment for me that had me was when there, um, there's a survivor who comes to the group. One of the other survivors doesn't recognize this guy and shoots him, thinking that he's Riddick because Riddick has been kind of made out to be this boogeyman. boogeyman. <laughs> and like they do like this snap zoom to Riddick sitting there under this umbrella, like 
in the distance, I was like, that is so good. And just the way that he is presented, and I just fell in love with his anti-hero. I just really dug him, and just the way that he had the uh, ability to see them in the dark, which really played into the story. I thought it was really tight. I love the character drama. And yeah, I was just on board for this. And ever since then, it's like, okay, whatever Vin Diesel's in, except for the Fast and the Furious movies, I will go see it. Uh, Pitch Black was awesome. I, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, I thought it was cool. Um, the, you know, I was in the mood for like a sci-fi movie. And then I found out, and this is just a little side note, that uh, David Tuya directed it. And he's one of those guys who does not get nearly enough credit. His no. movies are all very well done. They're very well written. Below is one of the most underrated, haunting uh enclosed space stories i've seen oh yeah below is full dvd set for like five bucks tossed in with a bunch of crap so i watched below ready for crap and then directed by david tui which raised my eyebrows and i enjoyed the hell out of that movie yeah, it's depressing how little like below gets any credit. Like nobody has even really heard of it, and it's it's such a shame because yeah, below is a terrifying like a horror a World War II horror movie. It's I it's just, also I think one of the smartest post Sixth Sense. Everyone's doing a ghost story movies because the characters in a brilliant plot twist are actually kind of aware of what's going on, and they start spitballing all the potential plot twists. Well, what if we were blown into an alternate dimension and the ghosts we're seeing are our rescuers? Well, what if this? What if this? That's a brilliant way to play off the everyone's got a twist ending after the Sixth Sense thing. Yeah, they have that that whole scene where they're like, well, if we're already dead, then that sound we heard was this, and oh my god, what if we are already dead? If I see he directed a movie, I'm watching it. I don't care. And I have yet to be let down. All of his stuff's good. But uh, Pitch Black, I was excited. I was like, oh, good, you know, an R-rated sci-fi film. And it did not disappoint. It was clever. It was unique. Uh, The characters were interesting. It was very well written. Vin Diesel was just such a badass. You immediately gravitated towards him. I originally thought that uh, Claudia Black was going to end up like being the hero in because some of way. Farscape being at its because peak of at Farscape. that time, exactly. Mm-hmm. And she ended up really not being much of anything. She dies. Kind of, she dies pretty quickly too. She di- She was one of the first victims, and I was kind of bummed because I liked her, and I I thought, but then I was like, okay, I I. I don't know what to expect now. And uh, I, I just, I really love the hell out of it. It started off everything in, in such a good way. If they would have stuck with that formula, kind of like what they, what they were doing with the alien movies where, you know, Ripley keeps running into the aliens. I don't think this would have worked if they would have ended up having, you know, him land on another planet where there is another aliens that come out at, at night or something like that totally wouldn't work. So I'm glad they decided to shift the focus on the character of Riddick and take it in that direction instead of being about the aliens. There are actual character arcs in this. For instance, I was, for one thing, I was shocked at the ending. I actually, because, you know, Carolyn Fry is your main character other than Riddick. I was kind of shocked. She she got through to him because, you know, Riddick's talking about, oh, you know, the animal side. And, you know, at this point, we don't know he's more complex than the way Johns has made him. When, when he sees that Carolyn not only came back for him, but gave that speech of, I said I would die for them, not you. You don't deserve it. And then when she dies, coming back for him, there's that moment where he realizes he can regain his humanity when he goes back for Imam and and Jack. 
And that's an actual character arc moment. You don't normally get those in creature features, do you? No, normally you don't. Normally, creature features, you just get stock archetypes. And you don't, you don't even have stock archetypes in this one. Every character is rather unique and independent on their own. With the, ones that, with the exception of the ones that are just there to be killed, like most of Imam's kids. Right. Yeah, well, they... And they're, they're done away with real fast, so you could focus on these characters. It's much more of a character piece than a creature feature. They, they, also, kind of, they also kind of fool you, making you think Zeke is going to be a main character. He's all take charge, and, you know, I'm the first one in the hole. Oh, and he's also the first one killed. Yeah, uh, well, they play it so smart with the way that they kill off these characters to really show you that there are stakes in the game. And, you know, to, to have them so many die so quickly up front, it's like... Holy shit, nobody And not safe. in the order you think. So I think Pitch Black, it, it had a lot more than what the critics gave it. The film did not take, take a critical drubbing. It's only got about a 57 on Rotten Tomatoes. The critics at the time thought it was engaging, but it, it didn't get great reviews, but it didn't get terrible reviews, and it didn't do great box office until DVD. I don't know what prompted them, what prompted Universal to say... Even though the movie didn't do too well, we need a TV special, which brings us to the first of Mike's specials, Into Pitch Black, released only six months after the movie. It hadn't even come out on DVD yet when Into Pitch Black was a Sci-Fi Channel original. It was a one-hour special that was kind of a prequel, kind of a sequel, that was about Riddick but didn't really have Riddick in it, although Vin Diesel does have a cameo in it as Riddick, but you see his escape. And then you see some of the outside world in really bad CG matte paintings that don't involve Riddick. And you see some of the other bounty hunters. And I, I know, Cecil and, and Alex, you haven't seen this one. So this will be a discussion between Mike and I. I didn't dislike it as much as you did, Mike, but I know you hated this one. Yeah, I've tried watching this one twice now, and I just I've never been able to make my way through it. And what it's only like, what, half an hour long? And I still couldn't do it. I just. Something about the way that it's put together, I know that they're trying to do this kind of like artsy-fartsy editing style and everything. It just felt like somebody's like junior project in film school. Felt like they had maybe $250 worth of budget, and that was about it. I mean, it just feels like they are trying to hide their budgetary restrictions through editing and through filters. I've, I couldn't, couldn't handle it. I tried twice. I tried a few months ago. I tried last week, and I was just like, this is too much. This is just way too boring. Well, the, the one aspect I did like is looking at other aspects of the universe, such as the main plot being about the rich guy who had all those antiques. His insurance company wants to know what happened to the Hunter Grasner. They assume Riddick escaped, took down the ship, and then when the recovery team finds the half-eaten bodies on the planet, they assume Riddick is now a cannibal as well. And I thought that was an interesting angle to play. It didn't work quite well, because the story wasn't written too well. David Toohey had nothing to do with this special. But I thought the idea was pretty decent. The idea is okay. It's just the nonlinear storytelling and just the way that it was presented. I mean, really, it was too much style over not enough substance for me where it's just like oh god just why don't you just have a guy sitting in front of a camera telling me this story rather than putting in all this shit that you're trying to throw on the screen it just did not work it was piss poor filmmaking for me then after that that being the only riddick thing we had for a while in 2004 we get the chronicles of riddick I loved this film in the theater. This film did not do well either with critics or financially. It was a $120 million budget, only made $107 million 
this film lost a ton of money, and the facts that and the fact that the critics hated it made Universal kind of go, we're done with this franchise. This was PG-13, and this was making Riddick a key character in Pitch Black, now the central character, which in theory could have been a mistake, but I think this pulled it off quite well. I love Chronicles of Riddick. I remember when it came out and seeing the, the trailers and going, oh, who the hell is Riddick? And then I watched Pitch Black, and I'm like, that's who Riddick is. And I immediately watched Chronicles and loved it. He's that guy from the Fast and the Furious movies. Oh, no, I liked um, – after Pitch Black and Riddick, I was sold on Vin Diesel. I even watched and appreciated The Pacifier. Dude, Chronicles is awesome. I, I just – I adored it. I was so excited because uh, – I. I didn't think that they were going to make a sequel, and I was really happy they did, and I was happy that they expanded on it so much. They showed how uh, how much bigger the universe was that they uh, they put this character in. They introduced the Necromongers. Having Vin Diesel be a badass. I think one thing that did bug me, but at least it wasn't a completely watered-down thing, it was PG-13 instead of R in the theatrical cut. This was a hard PG-13. There's a hell of a lot of violence in this. It was a, Exactly. It was a hard PG-13. It thankfully happened before the 2004 revolt when all of a sudden every PG-13 movie got completely neutered. Because this really would have taken a beating. And I'm glad it didn't because it still ended up being quite good. I, I just I, I liked it so much. Uh, the... Um, uh, with uh, what's his name, Carl Urban as oh, yeah. uh, Vako was such a good, the, the, the very Harkonnen inspired production design for oh, uh, the Monger stuff. Yes, definitely. I just I, I liked all like how everything was just freaking weird. They had the um, they had the slaves that could like see. They had the the helmets on where they could see through shit, and just it was so the designs of everything. They put so much creativity and effort and work into it, and I think that's why a lot of the critics didn't like it is because it just simply was too foreign. It was too alien. There were too many weird concepts for them to really wrap their brain around, and they weren't expecting this out of a Vin Diesel movie because by this point Vin Diesel was becoming to be fairly well known and they're oh it's Fast and the Furious guy uh, and like and here he is making the, this movie that dare I say is pretty goddamn intelligent it's not again it's another not dumb sci-fi action movie whereas Pitch Black was the not dumb creature feature this was the not dumb sci-fi action film well, just the scope of the movie is so big, and to go from world to world, and you're just traveling through this galaxy is just amazing to me. I mean, it's just that you leave from one planet to another, and it's this whole fully realized thing, and everything has its own rules and everything, and it's great that they have the callbacks to the first movie, that we have Jack back. We've got you know, Keith David returning. I mean, the cast in the first one was great, but the cast in the second one was just absolutely amazing. They get freaking Dame Judi Dench in this movie. And it's like, what are you doing here? But it works, you know? It's like, how, how can this possibly do? And then, yeah, you guys, what you were saying as far as the world building and the mythology that goes around here to introduce these necromongers as this whole, you know, thing that we haven't seen in the first movie. And there's just so much intricacy with them. And the production value is just absolutely amazing. And this is one of those movies that whenever it is on TV, if I'm flipping channels and I see it, I just stop on it, watch it, you know, whether it's five minutes left. 
or you know just started i am watching this movie it is definitely one of the most satisfying films for me just again going back to the scope i mean it feels like five movies kind of put into one and in a great way not like a disjointed way and see i i loved the movie i think it actually gets wrecked by its director's cut one of the very few times that i'll say that i i didn't really feel it being neutered as like Cecil and I pointed out, it's a hard PG-13, so you almost don't even notice that that the film doesn't have a lot of swearing and that there are some quick cuts during the fights. But I, I also agree. This built on the world really nice. I had a little issue with the Necromongers because if they're this giant threat that everybody knows about, why were they never mentioned at all? in Pitch Black, because clearly everybody knows and fears the Necromongers, and they've been doing this in Riddick. Vako says he's he's been doing this, campaigning across the universe, killing worlds since he was a child, so for 20-plus years, you would think somebody would have mentioned them at this point, but that's a minor nitpick. My big nitpicks are with the director's cut. I think the director's cut absolutely wrecks this film. Usually, the director outside with them. In this... They add all this mystical hooey with this this mystical Furian woman that Riddick keeps seeing, and then there's the Furian handprint on their chests, which is just ridiculous. And then Riddick gets superpowers when they're fighting on Crematoria. He gets this like repulse power and knocks all the Necromongers back, and then he's glowing blue as he's punching their heads off, which I think is just stupid upon stupid. The director's cut adds... All the scenes between Vako and, and Dame Vako, which I think wreck the moral ambiguity of Vako's character. Because throughout the theatrical cut, you're never quite sure if he really will betray the Lord Marshal or not. The director's cut makes it clear he's playing nice to get close to stab him in the back. I think that wrecks the ambiguity. That and the mystical hooey, it explains things that didn't need explaining. The biggest problem I have is the whole handprint thing and just how cheap those scenes are. I mean, it just looks like such an add-on and it looks like they, I don't know, it looks bad green screen and it just interrupts the flow of the film. I think it kind of wrecks the pacing for me when that happens, especially because it kind of happens in some really key areas. and it's The like, worst, the yeah, worst that, is, is the scene where the purifier is revealed to be a Furian. Exactly. That like, is oh. a perfect reveal in the theatrical cut where he's like, the Lord Marshal feared Vako might fail. He gave me a message for you. Stay away from him and you will be hunted no more. The necromonger in me hopes you listen. The Furian in me, and then Riddick does a whip pan as he realizes it, hopes that you kill him. That is a much better reveal than the whole, I'm going to kill you. Oh, wait, you've got the blue handprint too. And oh. That was just the clunkiest reveal on the director's cut. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was wrong. I mean, other than like the director's cut of uh, freaking Donnie Darko, I haven't seen a worse director's cut. Not even Highlander 2? Highlander 2, you just, you, you can't polish a turd. <laughs> and I, I, think, I think the director's cut also wrecks Kira slash Jack by introducing her in the beginning of the film. I think it's a much be bigger shock when you first meet her on crematoria instead of those scenes of her being put in with those, those rainbow lion things. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. It has its problems in storytelling, but all that mystical stuff though, because it's called the Chronicles of Riddick. It feels like it's the setup for an entire, you know, epic series. 
Yeah, it was meant to be as well as the fact that it still might be. I mean, Vince Diesel's still trying to get funding for more. He's got ideas for the next two films. I wasn't too put off by all the mystical stuff and the things that were like expanded on because I'm like, this is stuff that would make sense through the course of a trilogy. The theatrical cut's definitely better, but um, I, I would have liked some elements of the uh, of the, the director's cut in there. Like uh, if uh, the, it did seem like they, they pushed it that where you said it was hard PG-13, it did feel like there were certain parts that they did go, you know, it, it felt like an R-rated movie. Super Riddick so, punches a necromonger's head clean off. That's just mm-hmm. ridiculous R, though. Yeah, but, you know, I, I thought it was cool. I, I didn't mind the mystical stuff too much, but I think that it, it felt better that, okay, I saw the, the theatrical cut, and then the director's cut had some additional stuff, but it didn't really add to the movie as much as it was just like, oh, there's some kind of cool stuff. And maybe they also cut it out because the effects weren't quite as good. Because the the movie is a damn good looking movie. And then some of the director's cut effects, it's like, uh, it's like you said, it's not as good. So I do wonder if they might have also been cut for budgetary reasons. It was interesting to watch the deleted scenes because on the the DVD they have deleted scenes with commentary. They part at the beginning with him and Tombs. They shot that whole thing twice. And the first one was basically just this static thing with Tombs and Riddick and basically all this exposition coming out. And uh, so he did get more money Like after he showed this to the execs and they're like, oh, this is great and everything. And he's like, yeah, but I'd like to get a little bit more money and go back and reshoot this. And here's what I have in mind. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's cool. So he might have been able to do that with other stuff. But yeah, I'm curious to listen to the director's commentary for the whole darn thing, because I would like to know his reasoning for, oh, let's just kind of break up the pacing here with this lady who's stepping out in front of this shitty green screen. And touching Vin Diesel's chest. Yes. Well, I would do that. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I, I would too. Just oh, I'm not I'm not gay, but I'd be like, look, dude, I just have to do this. Another one of the issues people had, and I I am totally with Tui on this. Or, well, I I don't normally side with the studio. There's and this is another case of the studio actually making the right decision. David Tui and Vin Diesel wanted the original actress that was playing Jack to come back to play Kira. She was really bad. We'll get into that in the next special. She's not that good of an actress. And I think the actress that they got to play Kira Jack in this one not only did not do a bad job, but considering that it's almost a different character, intentionally so, I think changing actresses was a good move. Tui and Diesel both fought against that, but the studio insisted they hire an actress with more experience. For once, the studio made the right call. Yeah, I I had no problem with it. And the thing that I liked about the kind of switch up was that you know, Jack is obscured so much in the first movie that when it came to the second one, I was like, is that the same girl? I can't really tell. So, and I saw both of these in the theater. So there was, you know, four years in between for me to forget exactly what Jack looked like. So, well, it kind of made sense. I felt that the person they got was too feminine. I liked that Jack that I originally thought was a boy for half the movie. But you remember all that she's been through when she said, that she got slaved out. She didn't mean like, you know, picking cotton slave. She was a sex slave for years. 
So that feminine angle, I kind of took as part of who she is now, you know, that she was kind of forced to be feminine. Yeah, I, I don't know. I could see age, you know, bringing more femininity to her features. I kind of pictured her as more the, the cusp or just past puberty in the first movie. So I kind of saw it as this kind of gender neutral time in her life. So I don't know. I was all right with it, that she was more feminine in the in the second film. The studios aren't always wrong. Uh, I'd say 90% of the time they're wrong, but every now and then they'll do something right. And uh, I, I didn't uh, I, I didn't mind her recasting. I mean, we can't say for sure whether or not the original actress would have done a better job, but I thought that the actress that they got, she, I thought that she did a good job for the role. Like I said, I enjoyed it. And despite the critical drubbing it took, despite the box office disaster that it was, they had already had this planned. They had this special come out. The Chronicles of Riddick Dark Fury. It was an animated 40-minute special that was supposed to bridge, and it came out five days after Chronicles opened, but it was supposed to bridge what happened between Pitch Black and Chronicles to Jack and Imam, because we kind of know what happened to Riddick. And I thought this was terrible. Peter Chung is a fine director. I really did not like the anime style of this. Vin Diesel sounds bored in his voice acting in this. I actually thought for a while that they couldn't get Keith David back because Imam doesn't even sound like Keith David through half of this. And yeah, I'll say it. Rena Griffith as Jack, the original actress from Pitch Black, she's terrible. She is just awful in this, and you're only hearing her voice. And that's not even getting into the stupidity of the story. Alex, you said you didn't see this one, right? Well, the reason I didn't see it, because I saw a trailer for it on the DVD for Riddick, for Chronicles of Riddick, and I'm like, oh, wait, there's a third one? Oh, wait, it's animated. And I'm still so put off by the fact that Animatrix was not at all what I thought it would be. <laughs> I was hoping you'd bring that up. Yeah, so that's why I didn't go with it. I'm like, this is going to be Animatrix all over again. I'll have none of this. No, I only saw a little tiny bit of it. Not enough to really warrant any discussion on in my part. Okay, Mike, you watched this one, right? Yeah, I've actually watched this one twice, and I liked it. I mean, I we used to be a big uh, Aeon Flux fan, so I was very into the style of uh, the animation and everything. And like like Alex, I was afraid it was going to be another Animatrix, so I was pleasantly surprised with it. I just thought it was this kind of innocuous thing. I'm curious why you're very angry about it, but I was just like, eh, it's fine, you know. And I was glad that it kind of introduced Tombs, because I'm a big Nick Chunland fan, so... Uh, Tombs actually Chinland. stole scenes from Vin Diesel in Chronicles. Yeah, I mean, he is fantastic. I used to love him um, when he would show up, like, in the X-Files and stuff. I mean, he's just, he's got that great voice. I mean, putting those two voices together between him and Vin Diesel, I mean, it, it's fantastic. Well, I, I thought, even after Chronicles, we, we talked about how, it, you know, it was this much bigger story. And, the, you know, I had the problems with the Necromongers and all that. They even mentioned the Necromonger thing in Chronicles. You stole a prisoner from them? You know, like, like again, everybody knows about them, but nobody's stopping them. But in this, you've got this, this insane rich woman who's collecting the worst of the worst criminals of the galaxy. She has an entire freezer full of bounty hunters she can defrost whenever she wants. And there is alien life, obviously, in this continuity. No intelligent alien life, like no space travelers and stuff. Well, this lady's got two aliens that can talk. 
So it's completely contradictory to the rest of the, the Riddick universe, too. It's like, this is asinine. I thought this was terrible. I hated this one. Yeah, you're definitely being too nitpicky on this one. It's and, just an animated special, you know? Whatever. It's not a big deal. And then this started a weird thing with, with Universal with the franchise as a whole. They re-released Pitch Black, the Chronicles of Riddick Pitch Black, along with the Chronicles of Riddick and the Chronicles of Riddick Dark Fury. I thought that was odd that they would rebrand the first film as Chronicles of Riddick, kind of the way Lucasfilm and 20th Century Fox did with Raiders of the Lost Ark. When they put out the DVD set, it was Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I just, I, I, I can't stand when they rebrand a title like that. Rambo just, 3? You know, first or First Blood Part 3, Rambo 2. But yeah, I... That's one of those little things, those little nitpicks that sticks in my craw when they try and rebrand like that. I remember when it was just Pitch Black, goddammit. It wasn't Chronicles of Riddick, Pitch Black. Well, I, you know, kind of to Alex's point from earlier, you know, there's not necessarily that much of a connection between the two films. So I can see them being like, hey guys, just in case you didn't know, there's this other movie out here. I agree with you as far as the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders is always Raiders. It's not Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, yeah, I mean, as long as they didn't do what they could have done and gone in and, and changed the movie itself, changing the cover art to say this is part of a trilogy, eh, not a big deal. Dark Fury didn't sell very well because initially this thing's 35 minutes long. It's got no extras on it. They released this as a full $15 standalone DVD, which yeah, I think ridiculous. was th that was kind of asking a little too much from the audience. Obviously, they didn't know at the time Riddick, you know, Chronicles was a failure, but I think that was asking a little bit too much. Including it as a free extra on the box set, that's fine. That's what they're doing now. I think the initial release of Dark Fury was just ridiculous. We finally, in 2013, we got Riddick. The follow-up to Chronicles, which ignores Dark Fury, thankfully. I thought Riddick was a fantastic movie. The theatrical cut, this is one, I didn't see the director's cut till about five days ago, but I love the theatrical cut. And I think the director's cut does add more to it, and I'll get into this in a, in a little bit. Cre also creates a massive plot hole in the entire franchise, but I loved Riddick. I thought this was a nice return back to the style of Pitch Black without ignoring everything that had happened in Chronicles. Oh, Riddick was fantastic. Riddick, uh, I loved that they decided to just go straight back to R, and it was vicious. And That straight I back to R was a battle, too. We discussed that, remember? Oh, they, yeah. When this, initially, when this initially failed at the box office, Universal blamed it on it being R, and they hmm. basically told David Toohey, if you would let us make this PG-13, you might have gotten a fourth film. This thing failed because you insisted on it being R. No, it failed because it had a crappy marketing budget behind it. I, I, like, I wanted to see this, and I barely saw any advertising for it. Yeah, they, they just, I think they, sometimes they intentionally sabotage things just so they could be like, oh, we knew better. Yeah, uh, but this absolutely worked as R. I don't think it would have worked if it was PG-13 because of just the viciousness of it. 
and uh, I liked how they dialed it back completely to just show a nice chunk of the film where it was just Riddick by himself. And I know a lot of people. I could have done with a whole movie of just him surviving on the planet. Yeah, I I thought that was fantastic. I didn't mind, uh, you know, that whole segment. But I know that was one of the biggest things that people bitched about. They're like, oh, he's on the planet, he's by himself, and he's, he's there with a the space dog. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That part, that that whole segment was phenomenal because it showed his thought process, his survival skills. It showed how much of a badass he was and how he was returning to his predatory instincts. He was remembering, okay, I was kind of living the lush life of, uh, you know, uh, after uh, Chronicles, but now I have all that power stripped away from me. I have to remember how to survive in this freaking vicious wilderness. And he was doing it. Oh, it was just so good. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, having to get back to that animal side and that he's slipping with all the power and everything. So good. And yeah, I could have. I saw this again in the theater and. I when it was over, I was like, I could stand another three hours of this movie. I could just watch this movie all day long. Just take me somewhere else now. You know, just keep going. And yeah, I could have done with another hour and a half of just Riddick and his dog on the on the planet. I was like, this is fine. And I love the way that it just kind of turns. You know, we've got such a, a great structure to this film. The way that it goes from you know him and the dog, him and the bounty hunters, him and the the creatures, and it's just like this is great. Just so tight, so well written. I I I, uh, I know we probably shouldn't be saying anything about the director's cut, but I love the director's cut that there's a little bit more of the Necronaut mongers because that was the one thing where it's like. Now, shouldn't I have seen like Carl Urban or gotten something with that? So I was glad that they kind of beefed that up a little bit. And again, I would take just another hour of extras or anything. I'm just hungry for more Riddick, and this movie really satisfied me. I really had problems with people. I mean, I can understand where some people read this movie as being very anti-woman, but for me, it was like, eh, it just it didn't bother Cause, me because there are much. only two women in the film. One of them is killed almost immediately, and the other one is a man-hating lesbian. Or at least she says that she's a lesbian, or she says she doesn't, you know, f- guys, and it's like. Okay, well, is that guys like guys or guys like men? So I'm not really sure, but yeah. And I kind of wish that uh, she hadn't said that whole thing about real pretty like at the end, but I don't care. And I like that. And that actually was almost worse, Mike. Yeah. Originally, the studio wanted them to kiss. Like somehow Riddick's manliness straightened her out. They wanted them to kiss when they were nose to nose like that. Uh, Yeah, no, I'm glad that that didn't happen. And I was glad that John's dad was part of this because tying back to that first movie, I thought was very key. I could see where people would complain like, oh, this is just a rehash of the first one with the creatures on the planet, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. I'm just I'm fine with it. I'm as long as we have scenes like him talking about how he's going to put, you know, the bounty hunters head in a box. Yeah, I'm all all about it. Yeah. Oh, I loved the hell out of Riddick. That movie is amazing. I only watched the director's cut. I didn't. Well, the one that wasn't in theaters, the one that had the better ending that really sets up a sequel and everything. When it was advertised, it felt like it was going to do pitch black all over again because all I the I thought the same thing. The trailers are like because the the trailers were essentially the last 20 minutes of the film. Yeah, which I still would have been fine with because pitch black was good. But that whole stuff with the creatures, that's just at the end. And that's almost like incidental. I mean, it's just 
the characters already have their own story going on here, and that's just something that adds to their arc. It gives them a clock. You know, it gives them a, a clock for a while as far as when Riddick wants this stuff to be done. And then once the clock, you know, strikes 12 or whatever, then all hell breaks loose. And I kind of like that it's who's worse, the creatures that are outside or Riddick that's inside with these people. And they think they're all badasses and they don't know anything about being a badass. And we get to see Raul Trujillo back from Scanners 2, right? Always a pleasure. Yes, we do. These things aren't necessarily problems I have with the movie, but this also brings up questions that I hope the next movie answers. Like, okay, the Necromongers think, did they just stop when Riddick came in? Because these bounty hunters don't see, they never bring up the Necromongers once, and they were campaigning across the entire galaxy. Now, there has to be some sort of a governmental structure, because they get paid with credits, which have to be backed by some kind of a bank or some kind of a currency. There are people that somehow restock these Merc stations in pitch black. They mention how the bounty hunters are far more effective than the police. So is this a universal police? Or are the bounty hunters kind of their own thing? Or are they kind of the the police? Or Do, do you see where I'm going? How this one kind of opens up some questions that are not problems, but hopefully things that we get answered later yeah i think they were trying to expand the universe a little further by leaving stuff like that in there uh because uh, like you had said vin diesel had ideas of what he wanted to do with future movies and he put his own money into this to get the movie finished it is kind of depressing that for such a kick-ass original unique well-done movie and it didn't do nearly as good as it should have and there's so many garbage movies out there that just rake in hundreds of millions of dollars that aren't like a fraction of as good as this is and if they're going to be able to put out another one it's going to be a complete uphill battle i'm sure that there's probably ideas and stuff that they're going to want to put into that and it's just not they're probably going to be constantly fighting. And I don't know, like I, I really want them to be able to do a fourth and fifth, sixth film if they want to. But I think at this point, getting a fourth one is going to be really tough. He might have to go back and do another like five Disney movies or something to get the capital to just finance it himself. They announced the day we're recording this, the Universal wants three more Fast and the Furious movies. Maybe oh. if he clicks onto those, they'll let him do a fourth Riddick. It's possible. I mean, what was the uh, – well, that was the key for Riddick was that uh, the, the he Tokyo did the Drift. Tokyo Drift. He did the cameo at the end, and they gave him the rights to Riddick. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, who knows? And uh, he'll actually be able to take that money and go uh, and, and just fund the movie out of that movie. You know, who knows? Yeah, I think it's more the nitpick kind of stuff. I mean, I understand, you know, oh, yeah, the netcormongers are badass and stuff. But it's kind of like they kind of remind me of the Borg a little bit. And it's like, OK, the Borg are somewhere else. And we could always talk about the Borg in every single time that we're talking about Star Trek. But the Borg are kind of their own separate storyline. So I'm OK with the necromongers kind of being in a part of the universe that doesn't necessarily affect every other storyline. There can be other movies that are told while the Necromongers exist. So are you jinxing I, my janks? Well, and then there is one little just kind of 
really? That's not very well thought out for space travel. So they take out one node out of each ship, and then the ship is totally powered down. You don't have backups? What if a node blows? What if you drop it while you're... You would think that there would be some sort of a backup other than I take one of these 12 nodes out and the whole ship is dead. That's not very efficient space travel. Well, it's like Christmas lights, you know? One of those goes and you got to throw away the whole string. (laughs) Powering a spaceship is like Christmas lights, according to Mike White. I like it. The issue brought up in the director's cut... This might actually work into the story, or it's a major continuity problem. Vako is telling the story about how he waged the campaign on Furia. He mentions all of the Furians had eyes like yours. So are they now trying to say that the being able to see in the dark and the shined eyes is a Furian thing? Because Riddick never questions this and just, yes, yes, that means he actually was on Furia. The Purifier didn't have that. The mystical woman didn't have that. Oh, and nine years before Pitch Black, he got his eyes shined while in Slam City. So are they now trying to do the shined eyes thing as a Furian trait? I'm fine with that because... But it contradicts previous continuity. I don't think it does because Riddick lies about a lot of stuff. And I always figured he lied about getting his eyes shined in the first place, especially when Jack tells him, I went to try to do that and that didn't exist at all. If you keep into Pitch Black and continuity, they talk to the doctor that shined his eyes. Yeah, I thought that was a little bit of a clunker line myself, but it's like, uh, whatever. It felt like, you know, it almost felt like Vako is lying, Vin Diesel knows that he's lying, Riddick knows that he's lying, but he just kind of wants to see where this goes. But I don't know. That was just my interpretation of it. I just that that's the one plot hole I found that just pissed me off because when I saw that I'm like whoa 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 wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute I want to point out the thing with the dog when he gets his pet dog in this I was pissed off not because the pet dog was a bad choice or whatnot but because I knew it wasn't will this dog die it's at what point will this dog die and piss me off I know you were in the same boat Mike because we've discussed this before I love that goddamn dog. That dog was so nice, and the dog even didn't want to eat the damn rations. There, it says dog food. Go ahead. And and I got to say, the bounty hunters were actually kind of fun for as scumbag as they are. I mean, the, the, the scene with the captive woman that Santana shoots down and the implication that he's been raping her for quite a while proves he's kind of a scumbag. But at the same time, Santana was kind of a fun villain at the same time, wasn't he? Yeah, I like uh, the way that he's just... Uh thinks he's such a badass and stuff and i mean the 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 part when he finally meets riddick and he's talking about you and know, he's stumbling over his words like yeah I, everybody has a box you've got a box this guy's got a box we all have box yeah that's so good though i was in just the way that he meets this end i was very impressed with and it was as doll puts it, it was five seconds oh yeah yeah let's let him go right i thought dave batista actually did quite a good job too terrific job yeah i was really impressed with that i just think they missed a great casting coup in this because cole hauser played johns and pitch black back in 2000 oh yeah and you've got johns's father in here why not cast cole hauser's real father wings hauser that would have been a perfect casting i don't know why they didn't do that the guy who played a Matt Nabel, he was great. He was a really Oh, he didn't good do actor. a bad job, it's just he wasn't Wings Hauser. Right. No, that would have been awesome had he had he done that. There's also something weird about this entire franchise. They never really deal with race. You get 
true multiculturalism without it feeling forced. Lots of people have act different accents. Nobody ever brings it up. I can only think of in these five, counting the specials as, as movies here, these five movies, I can think of one racial reference, and that was by Tombs. Look at you, all back at a bus and shit. <laughs> Which is a great line, but that's the only racial reference in this entire franchise. I think that was pretty cool, because with Vin Diesel being black... The, the Furian woman being black, Dame Vako, it's never even mentioned that Vako's wife is black. I think that's actually pretty cool. You know what? I didn't even pick up any kind of racism at all. Even with the back of the bus line, it just felt like – actually, that felt awkward because I'm like they're referencing culture from eons before they existed. Well, it also brought in the factor that this universe that they were in encompassed Earth. I, I kind of it was a good joke. Uh, I kind of got the feeling that it was more just something else entirely that you, this was this whole fantastical universe that didn't really exist uh, with with us in it. It was a, it was a clever little jab. And when you start thinking about it is when you're like, well, I guess Earth and, and he would have to really be into history. And I, it's a joke that maybe he idolizes would... Rosa Parks. Yeah, you know, so who knows? You know, I just I think it was a clever little jab that worked within the the confines of the the second that you see it, but then or second that you hear it, but then if you start thinking about it, you're like, hey. Well, you know, actually, uh, Vin Diesel is uh, mixed race. His whole thing is one race, you know, and that's his production company and everything. And I think his first his short film was multifacial and stuff. So he's very about, you know taking off the the kind of color blinders that kind of stuff so i i think it just fits in perfectly for him these movies i mean because i think while Tui is you know definitely driving the bus as it were i think that diesel is right there with them you know especially diesel in the, is the, the fuel yeah there you go the second and third movie especially i see those two probably working side by side rather than you know a, a boss uh subordinate type of relationship so i i can see that just kind of being, you know, not a thing. So I, I like it. I like that it's just, you know, people are people and this is a big universe. And some people speak with Australian accents in the first movie and other people don't. This entire franchise is not for waffle-eating pussies. This entire franchise is a badass space opera that I think, as a franchise, is overlooked, unfortunately. I want more from it. I want there to be more Riddick movies. I will say that I would give, I would trade the entire Fast and the Furious franchise for one more Riddick movie. Even Fast Five? The movie that is way better than it has a right to be? I like the Fast and the Furious movies a lot. Um, I think the right people know about it, but I would love if more people knew about it. It's, it's not as much of a cultural touchstone as I think it probably should be. I'll just watch hours and hours of this guy. I love the character. I love what Diesel does with it. And I'm on board for let's have more Riddick. The Riddick character is a very layered badass. Because look at back at how, like, the way Johns described him back in Pitch Black. He was basically, according to Johns' description, a remorseless killer who, who will slit your throat as soon as look at you. And then throughout the course of Pitch Black, and especially over Chronicles, we find out he won't kill unless 
he feels it's necessary. And even then, he thinks better of it. Like when he was going to leave Jack and to mom in the cave, he couldn't do it. That he's much more layered than, than the way Johns and Tombs and that see him. And then in, in Riddick, we see that a lot more. We also need to point out that the next film most likely will be in the Underverse. In the director's cut at the end of Riddick, we find out that Vako has finally achieved transcendence, whatever that exactly means. And since, since Riddick is looking to both kill him and get the information from Furia out of him, it looks like he'll be chasing Vako through the Underverse, which I think will be pretty damn interesting if they actually do this because you've been bitching about it for two movies. Could we see it, actually? That's my final thoughts. Mike, if you, if you get put into a slam where they shine your eyes, where could people find you? I'm over at the Projection Booth, which you can find at projectionboothpodcast.com. Cecil, you should have taken the money. Where can people find you? You can find me at goodbadflicks.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. And Alex, looks clear? It's clear. Geekjuicemedia.com. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com and contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Check out the Riddick movies. Try to find Into Pitch Black and Dark Fury just so you can see that they're not good, but they are still part of this franchise, whether we like it or not. They are still part of the franchise. So check out this franchise, but definitely watch the three main features. You will not be disappointed.
Radio Drome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.